0: Welcome back. To sound up governance, my guest this week is Robin Cardozo, who's probably the most experienced, connected, and remarkable executive and board member I know in the Canadian charitable space. He's been CEO, COO, and or CFO of multiple major organizations, including the Sick Kids Hospital Foundation in Toronto, the Ontario Trillium Foundation, and the United Way of Toronto. And he's been on a whole bunch of boards, including his current role as board chair of the Soulpepper theater theater company. He's also a consultant and advisor on a broad range of governance topics. Robin and I have been friends for years and shared tons of mutual interests including the intersection of corporate governance and equity, diversity, inclusion, anti-racism, and more. We put out two papers a couple of years back, one titled not-for-profit board diversity and inclusion, is it essentially window dressing, and another called From Window Dressing to Real Change, Success Stories from Boards on a Journey of Diversity and Inclusion. And I'm not being modest when I say that Robin was really the brains behind both of those projects. Anyway, Robin agreed to chat with me about governance in the not-for-profit world and the overall state of corporate governance more broadly. There was so much good stuff in our conversation that I'm going to split it into two episodes. What makes these episodes a bit different from normal is that you'll hear my voice in the wild, so to speak, in addition to voiceover, mostly because this was a bit more of a free-flowing conversation rather than an interview. You all know I like to ask my guests what they mean when they say corporate governance, so let's start there. So that's a really
1: good uh, question and I know Matt that you have defined governance uh, or you've defined corporate governance as really how decisions get made and uh, I I like that definition and I would add a couple of things to it in my perspective. So yes, number one, how decisions get made. Uh, I would add two more points. The issue of culture and values, establishing, nurturing, and maintenance of organizational culture and values, I believe, are uh, essential elements of governance. And the third point I would add is how oversight gets exercised, because I think oversight is is critically important in, in any organization. Now, I will add that any of those things, decision-making, culture and values – and exercising of oversight uh, are not exclusively board responsibilities. They're responsibilities that go up and down through the organization. Now, clearly, everyone can't be involved in oversight, for example, or nothing gets done. But really, all those are elements that can and should be implemented and should be part of people's responsibilities through
0: all aspects of an organization. Okay. So, first of all, I really like what you're saying. Second of all, I think one of the most rare conversations in the organizations that I've had the privilege of wandering around is a conversation that leads to a shared understanding of what good governance is for this organization. So maybe tell me a little bit, A, about what what do you think good governance looks like to the extent that you can describe it. But maybe just as important, tell me about What you have experienced in the organizations you've worked with on either side of the table with respect to efforts to build a common understanding of what that is and try to point ourselves in the same direction as each other. To me,
1: good governance is is about working together across the organization to make decisions and to build a culture and to exercise oversight, really always keeping in mind what is in the best long-term interests of the organization. I think quite often one, one makes decisions that, are, that, that seem to be appropriate or convenient at the time without necessarily thinking about the long-term um, interest of the organization. Uh, I guess the question is, so what? But, but I guess we need good Good governance, because good governance, I believe, leads to organizations excelling in their mission. Uh, as you know, I've spent really my both my professional and my volunteer life in the not-for-profit sector. And I would say that when I look at organizations that I believe were and are well-governed, I believe they're organizations that that, that are always keep that focus on what is in the best long-term interest of the organization and what can they do uh,
0: every day to excel uh, at their mission. So I have a a couple of interesting thoughts just listening to you because I really I love what you're saying and it adds some layers of complexity I think to the way that I'm if I'm understanding you correctly to the way that I'm thinking about governance. So one piece would be and I promise I'm not trying to give you a gotcha here. If we think of a a relatively realistic scenario, we can imagine ourselves as leaders in an organization of any type, whether we're senior management or board, faced with a decision where the long-term interests of our organization as a going concern of whatever type and the short-term interests of some of our key stakeholders may not be well aligned. In your assessment are we always supposed to choose the long-term interests of the organization, or how do we manage the potential trade-offs of that misalignment of interests? I think that's
1: that, that is a good question, and I, I'm not sure that there needs to be that misalignment. Once one get, once one analyzes the impact of of what is in the best interests of uh, stakeholders in the short term versus stakeholders um, in, in, in the long term. I think one can evaluate the impact on stakeholders from a short-term perspective, but also then push oneself to think: if this seems to be in the best short-term interest, is it really in the best in the best long-term interest as well? And where is there an intersection? Because I, th- I think that's where governance gets difficult. Absolutely, there often is a strong reason to uh, to go with the short-term implications because that's what people may be asking for. But I think I think often if you sit down and talk to those stakeholders and and go through through an analysis from a long-term perspective i think there is an area of of, uh, potential area of intersection in 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 most
0: cases okay so adding an extra layer to this i'm really interested and in all the years we've worked together i don't know that i've asked you this question i really do want to know the answer what was it that brought you specifically to the not-for-profit world and stuck you there Because you really have had such an, an amazing career in that sector. Thank you, Matt. I have certainly been privileged with the organizations that I've
1: worked with professionally and the organizations that I've volunteered with, either as a board member or, or in other capacities. I'd like to say that, that there was a whole clear career plan, that it was building, building blocks from step to step to step. I think it was well, what actually happened was that I had an amazing opportunity. I applied for a job in the not-for-profit sector with, with an organization, which, which was the United Way of Toronto at the time over 30 years ago, that I thought was a long shot but it was an organisation that I believed in, and uh, and I thought I would I would apply and see if I got the job of CFO, and, and much to my surprise, I was hired as a CFO. I think it was that early introduction that that really caught my attention. I, I would say. It building on that, I would say two or three things. I think the people whom I worked with in the sector, whether they were staff or whether they were board members or whether they were volunteers, were all people whom I felt I could learn from and who I enjoyed working with. There was just an enormous satisfaction for coming into work knowing that I would be interacting with people who cared about what they were doing, were good at what they did, and whom I could learn from. And I can say that when when I first started at United Way, more than 30 years ago, all the way to the roles that I do today as a board member with a couple of not-for-profit. I I continue to learn. I continue to meet intriguing, fantastic people and continue to feel that I have the privilege of contributing to something that is making a difference.
0: Tell me what's special or unusual or unique or whatever the right word is about the intersection of governance and the not-for-profit world compared to governance and any other sector, and maybe even zeroing specifically in on the charitable sector, which I think is the, kind of the coolest and weirdest area of the not-for-profit world. So I would say that perhaps what is unique about the sector or special about the sector
1: can be both a, uh, a positive and asset that can also be a drawback from a governance perspective. Uh, I think what is unique and special is that you meet many people or encounter many people who feel passionate about the cause, whether it's a social service program for uh, at-risk youth, whether it's an art program for for, for consumers of mental health services, a a not-for-profit theater group, or or a sports and recreation program for young people. You meet volunteers, you meet participants who feel passionate about the cause and, and, and therefore By definition, they care about the outcomes and and are willing to work hard for that. Where that sometimes can become a challenge from a governance perspective is that that passion doesn't always translate into the things that we were talking about earlier when we were talking about, gov- about good governance. So, for example, being able to, or knowing how to, having the skills to exercise uh, oversight. Sometimes there's a, a high degree feeling, well, sh- we should just trust the people because they're so passionate. And it's not that one mistrusts. One needs to mistrust anyone, but that one needs to, I think, sometimes recognize that there may not be the skills, whether it's at the board or the management or the supervisory level or the volunteer level. There may not be that full understanding of of what is necessary for good governance. So so it's both a great asset in terms of the passion, but that same passion uh, can be a drawback.
0: So I'm personally ambivalent about the volunteer nature of charitable boards. I I could take or leave it. That's my personal opinion. I don't I I don't see it as, as inherently good or bad, but I'm curious about your perspective about to what extent is the is is the requirement to be volunteers on the board, is that helping or hurting or neither? i will
1: say, th- this is a great question, and one that my perspective has actually shifted over the years, certainly for a long long time decades and decades uh in this country and 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 in perhaps in the western world that, that there is a feeling that charitable boards need to be comprised of volunteers that they should essentially that they should not be paid by the organization they should not be taking scarce resources from the organization one thing that we've come to realize in part from the research that you and I did matt uh, um, in the areas of diversity and inclusion is that that very requirement can work against diversity. That there are lots and lots of people who would make great board members, but because of childcare, because of their job situation, because of their family responsibilities, perhaps looking after an elder senior, they simply would not have the time to volunteer uh, in any extensive way. And so charities and not-for-profits are, are, in a sense, cutting themselves off from many people who would be qualified and fantastic board members, in many cases, really understand the service being provided, but can't serve on the board because of of their restrictions. And if only they could be compensated, even in nominal ways, so that could, so that they could pay for childcare for the duration, they could pay for someone to come and look after the elderly senior, or, or they could take a couple of hours off from work. So I, um, I would say that, that, that the issue is not as cut and dried uh, as as it used to be. And I think each organisation needs, needs to ask itself. Uh, having said that, there are still laws that in Ontario, particularly in relation to charities, I think, I think this does, does not apply to not-for-profits, but in Ontario, charities are not allowed to pay board members. I, I think this is an area that uh, the, the sector needs to look at and consider whether, whether, whether there is uh, some advocacy that is necessary to try to change
0: some of those regulations. So to what and I love what you're saying, to what extent does this same line of reasoning maybe extend in a different way to senior leadership beyond the board? where I kind of feel like I'm getting in conversations with charities especially, where I'm going to make up a, a, an example. If we're recruiting a CEO and we found the perfect person, they are we could never find anybody better and they their expectation salary wise is double what we expected usually in my experience the conversation ends there because of the misalignment on money and i'm i find myself thinking well it's probably easier to find money than it is to find the perfect ceo there's just this sort of overemphasis or obsession with Money sometimes. To, so to what extent does this this thinking of, well, you know what, maybe our w- unwillingness to spend money on boards or our unwillingness to spend more money on CEOs, is this working against charities or is it really just sort of an unavoidable uh, element or feature or bug of the system?
1: I would say that the unwillingness to spend money on on staff in general, and I'll come back to the CEO question in, 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 in a minute, but just, uh, in staff in general, that there's no question that uh, staff in the not-for-profit and charitable sectors earn less than counterparts do uh, in other sectors. I, I can say that from my own from my own career. Sure. Um, many of the jobs that they're doing involve life and death work or Caring for very vulnerable seniors—they've got some right. of the most difficult jobs uh, that, that 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 people have, and yet there's a there's been a some sort of an lore, if if I could use that word, that they they, they, they don't not, that they're not really in it for the money. Well, maybe they're not primarily in it for the money, but they need a, they, they need <laughs> yeah. an honest an honest fair wage. Coming back to your question of the CEO, that, 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 that is a tricky one, particularly for organizations that, for example, depend heavily on donors, on donations, and uh, donors will sometimes look at that. So I would say two things, and I, and I apologize if this might sound a bit simplistic, but I think, boil down, they are the, the, the two important principles. I think one is that you, um, you don't want to be far away from peer organizations mm-hmm. uh, in the community so that you're not Totally out of the line. That isn't to say you, you should not should not be at the top. There, there may be a, a business case to be to be at the head of the line, mm. uh, but you don't want to be totally out of the range. Number two, I've, uh, I come back to an earlier point I made about what is in the best long term interest of the organization, and if it is in the best long term, and having done your analysis, and you, the board believes it isn't the best long term interest of the organization to have a highly qualified CEO who is way head and shoulders above any of the other candidates, and where you have good reason to believe that the CEO can take the organization to whole new levels of revenue generation, service delivery, making an impact in the community and all those things, then, I, uh, I, then there's reason to at least not let the conversation end right
0: there, but to do that analysis and to have, that, have those conversations. And is that confidence or courage or whatever the right word is to do what you just described? Is that common in your experience? It is not common,
1: but it it is not unheard of. Mm. Ultimately, of course, as we all know, the board is ultimately responsible for the, for, the, for the running of the organization. But the board doesn't do it on, on its own. And uh, typically, the board will hire uh, excellent management staff to run the organization. So there, there is a, a good argument to be made that uh, good governance means hiring the best possible management. Maybe it doesn't happen overnight. Maybe it's a guess of knowing you want to get there in three years and figuring out how, how to raise the money
0: to get there. One of the things that I sometimes will say, and I know this is really annoying, but it does help people sometimes to get out of their conventional thinking is I'll say, you know, look, and especially using your definition, Robin, of good governance, what's good governance worth to this organization? It's a rhetorical question, of course, because I would like to think that the value of good decision-making in the long-term interest of the organization is worth whatever money it costs, and it's probably worth tracking down whatever money we need to to make it happen, even if it takes years, like you're saying. Do you have a reaction to this question, What what is good governance worth in dollars? <laughs> I think it's a good
1: question. I, I, I'm not sure I can, I, I can uh, answer it in relation to dollars, but I think it does in some way lead into a discussion that you and I have had over, uh, over the last year or two about where, is, where are the areas where governance does not work well. Right. So I, th- I think there's a segue to that uh, discussion. You and I have had some conversations about the phrase that sometimes gets bandied about that governance is broken and governance is broken in the not-for-profit sector. And as you know, I have a, have a few reactions to that.
0: And it won't surprise you to learn that I have some reactions too, but all that we'll have to wait until next time when we'll pick up right where we left off in this awesome conversation with Robin Cardozo. Thanks, as always, for listening to Sound Up Governance. I hope you're learning as much as I am, and I hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, please feel free to send an email or voice memo to soundup at groundupgovernance.com if you have any questions or suggestions or any reactions that you'd like to share about this or any other episode. Until next time.